0: Greetings. I'm Josh Tyson, co-author of the first best-selling book about conversational AI, Age of Invisible Machines. The book explores the learnings of 20-year conversational AI veteran and OneReach AI CEO, Rob Wilson. Each week, Rob and I bring in a guest to continue the conversation we started in the pages of our book. This week on the Invisible Machines podcast, we're talking about expectations leaders and doers should have as their companies adopt generative AI, how to create a sophisticated AI assistant in the financial sector, the ways that people across an organization are integral to the process, why the quality of your unstructured data matters so much, why being a creative problem solver might be the most important skill to have right now, and how to get leadership signed on for the long haul. This week's guest, Jeff McMillan, is the chief analytics and data officer at Morgan Stanley. His team worked closely with OpenAI to create an AI assistant that uses GPT-4. Trained on more than 100,000 of the investment bank's internal documents, Morgan Stanley assistant is making their advisors smarter. Bringing more than 20 years of experience working with AI to the project, Jeff was able to help give Morgan Stanley a massive competitive edge. It's also worth noting that this conversation was recorded a few days before Sam Altman's ouster from OpenAI. With that, let's get into this fascinating and incredibly practical conversation with Jeff McMillan. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We are really excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and Rob, pleasure is always seeing you here in our Riverside studio. Mm -hmm. What we've noticed is that like one of the challenges that businesses cross industries are facing with generative AI is is creating alignment with their brand. Um these projects are incredibly complex. And I, I think with the maturity of of AI, you know, AI can do so much more, but there's so much more uh opportunity for things to go wrong. So with the project you worked on at Morgan Stanley, we we love just kind of hearing about minutia too. So if if you could kind of tell us how that came about and i know you have a lot of experience working in ai and i'm wondering if some of your past experiences like really informed some of the decision making that went into to what you what you accomplished in morgan stanley
1: yeah sure um you know i think the the story goes back almost 2 years i have an i have a team solely focused on innovation and you know the 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 pace of technological disruption it just seems to only increase and just to give you a sense of the of the effort i mean we probably talked to 400 companies you know on the west coast east coast you know overseas and these are all emerging fintech players and of those 400 we probably did pilots of 20 and we'll probably do business with four or five and it just gives you a sense of the funnel that you have to go because so many of these things Candidly, don't do what they're what they say they're going to do. They do something that you don't need them to do. Um, you know, there's a lot of hype on on this, so you have to do a lot of due diligence. But one of the companies that we met through uh, through somebody who knew somebody was this this little company based in Silicon Valley called OpenAI. And you know, there we were with Sam Altman and, and his leadership team, and my boss um, Andy Saperstein, who's who's the co president here. And we um, we had our GPT moment, right? We, we had it long before I think most people. You know, the, we actually took one of my boss's speeches, and the joke was we started asking questions like in real time, and the answers that the you know OpenAI was giving were better than than his answer. He, <laughs> would, he would he would actually <laughs> agree with that. So you know, we walked away from that saying, "Geez, you know." And let me be clear: like Morgan Stanley is never bleeding it. Right. I mean, there's right, lots right. of challenges and we could talk about that. But we walked away thinking, hey, let's let's see what we can do with this because this is really disruptive. And um we essentially had three criteria. One is we want to do something that financial advisors would, you know, unambiguously say, This is awesome. Two, we wanted to do something that we thought was, you know, in the lane of open AI and can't only, it ended up being a lot harder than we had anticipated. And then three, we wanted to avoid client client data client information because in you know in a regulated environment that that creates lots of concerns so we wound up with a use case to essentially take all the knowledge of Morgan Stanley uh every research report procedure quick reference card product information I mean life on getting married getting divorced prenuptial agreements I mean you name it and by the way it's all there but the, the the normal way in which we access this stuff, it's pretty poor, actually. You know, you you you, you find, type in a search, you find a link, you hope that link's got the information, you back out. Um, so that was our goal, and we've effectively created what I would what I would say is you know maybe the most advanced um, intelligent assistant in financial services. It's completely trained on Morgan Stanley's information. You can't ask questions. It's not GPT, GPT four, but it's not Chat GPT, right? right? It only knows what's inside of Morgan Stanley, and you know the idea is how can we make how can we make every employee as smart as the smartest person on on any topic, and
2: and that's where we are right now. How did you get by? And I mean, it just feels like so many companies are being. I mean, I heard Gartner even say, "Don't don't do what you did," um, and I. I, I will. I love Gardner, and I think they have some great thinkers over there. But I was surprised because I'm thinking uh, this gives you guys like this is a, a start to an amazing um, advantage, and and now everyone's got to play catch up, and in a in a space that moves faster than anyone can think, that's going to be super hard. You guys are going to keep rolling. Now you're on a you know a two year head start. And meanwhile, the device out there is to wait. Does that make you guys go faster or? hundred percent. I mean, so, so a couple of points. So first of all,
1: we, we got in with open AI again, before people knew who they were, and we saw something and, you know, maybe we're smart, maybe we're lucky, we're a little bit of fault, but the, the, the ability to pick up the phone and call their, their the, the guy who runs all of research at OpenAI and say, hey, we're having problems with these prompts. What should we do? I mean, if you want to go today and get access to these models, you either do it through Microsoft Azure, or you go through a third-party consultant. And guess what? Those par- third-party consultants learned the technology like three weeks ago. It's going to take a long time. and You're paying, paying someone them to like, learn. Yeah, well, we're not working with them. Just, so we're working on that. I mean, I'm not you,
2: that, that, that proverbial you. Like, 100%. You, you get a consultant and then you're investing in a consultant's internal knowledge and, and not your own. That's right. And so you're, you're still left nowhere nowhere ahead internally. That's right. And, you know, we we are so,
1: I mean, I got to tell you, like, being able to talk to these guys at OpenAI, and they are smart. Right. And and to be able to get access to them and say we're struggling with this or that. And in, in all candor, we're we're developing in some cases, we're developing, you know, we had access to GPT for six months
2: yeah.
1: before it was made available. And we were giving them feedback uh, on on how it works. So I think that's one point. And then the, you know, three points. Second point is my boss is the co-president of Morgan Stanley. He's essentially like one of number two guys at the entire firm. He wants to make this happen, and, and you know you can talk about like how smart the team is and how we've run engineering and the infrastructure, but leadership is critical. And then finally, you know, when this whole thing came along, the first phone call I made was to my legal compliance and risk partners. You know, we are regulated, and we have to demonstrate, you know, that we're that we're in control and we're being responsible. And you know, you just can't you just can't run ahead of those folks. So they've been, you know, for all the complaints people make about know, the regulatory framework, you know, my, my legal clients are risk partners, and yeah. they get the importance of this and, you know, we figure out a way forward in which there is no,
2: there's no model right. in place Good. currently for this. Yeah. And there's two ways to look at it. One, you know, is, is, yeah, it's challenging. The other is, um, it's, if you can do it, anyone can do it <laughs> because you have all of the headwinds, right? Um, you know. Th- Just like healthcare, in some ways you go, who should we practice on first? Oh, let's financial service and health should be last because it's the most important, but, um, and and the hardest. And so the fact that you're able to do it is, I I think, in my mind, a bit of a miracle, (laughs) to be honest, (laughs) from what I experience out there.
1: No, but you know, the, the counter I'd make to that is we've been living in this world forever. Right. Uh-huh. So um, we're not new to AI. I mean, in 2018, we launched what's called our next best action platform, which was uh-huh. the first machine learning algorithm. You know, basically, it sifts through all the ideas of the firm and it gives every financial advisor every single day ideas that are relevant to their business. And then they can sort of pick from that. Um, you know, we're under tremendous constraints, but you know, the whole concept of what what people want from this technology, they want transparency and we are very good at developing solutions that have transparency. And I think, you know, I, I, I acknowledge the challenges, um, but I also say that, you know, this is not
2: something that's new to our company or financial services. That makes sense. I, I guess we're, if I were to rephrase it a little bit, it it, it would it would be saying that, where well, it's not about the technology anymore. It's now about the ability to leverage it and your people um, being able to understand and figuring out how to leverage it, growing your folks. And what you're saying is that your folks were already comfortable somewhat in this space and therefore adopting a more sophisticated technology wasn't a big stretch. And that a lot of other organizations, although may have you know, less regulation, they also have fewer people that understand it and that that's what takes time is developing the people and you having access to even smarter people to make your people smarter is, you know, is is probably the catalyst, right? It's it's investing in the people, getting started.
1: Well, that's the first people are always like, well, what do I do? And I'm like, just do. Right? Like I, I don't, you know, the the in a world in which there are no experts, you already have um you already have people in your organization that are using this stuff on the weekend. I mean, last last weekend I built Took a picture I, on the back of a, of a piece of paper. I scribbled a design for a, a website, Jeff's PC Company. I uploaded it to GPT, and I said, "Give using using the vision capability." I asked it to generate me a user experience design specification. I then asked it to generate HTML on the top of that, and then I put it into an HTML converter, and voila! voila there was my website. Yeah, six minutes, and I didn't like the color and the design of it. So I went back in and said, you know, make, make the website futuristic, kind of like Terminator ish, and make the uh make the mobile welcoming. Boom. Yeah, I
2: don't know how to write Love HTML. It. Don't Love know how to it. do it, but I did. But it's pretty powerful. I, I did a similar thing. I took sorry, I, I found a camera that will email you based on, on motion, with an attachment of a still frame. I put it on my door, like facing the front of my door. And then, um, and then I just put a prompt that was, is there a package in this image? And if yes, then I had it text, uh, my family to say, Hey, there's a package, go grab it. And I, and I didn't need an integration. I didn't need to connect to an API. All I needed to do is to find a camera that would send an email with an attachment. Um, and. And I, and I was set and I was like, wow. And, and I thought this could be used for, is there a long line at the store? How many people, how many cars are in this picture? How many people are in this? Like, is the bank busy? Is the bank not busy? I, I it just opened my mind to like how incredible this could be. And then I started doing things like screen grabbing websites so that I could monitor information without having to parse the website, like you said, without having to parse through the text, I just, just did an automated HTML to image (laughs) to a URL and then had it, and then asked the question, like, you know, what's the weather in this website or this calendar is two o'clock available. And I just started going, man, the world is just on fire right now with, unleashing our creativity. It's really about design now, right? Because that's what you did. You designed something. You didn't care about the
1: devs. 100%. But, you know, the other thing that's really, I think, you know, everyone is marv and I think this is a really important point that I don't think a lot of people get, is everyone's marveling at, like, what these large language models can do. And by the way, and we should. But what we're not talking about, I mean, you guys, you guys did this for a living, right? When you want to build something, you know, somebody has an idea, we then argue and debate whether it's a good idea. And then we write a user, we write a user requirements document. And then they write a UX specification. And then they give that design to, um, you know, then the technical specification is written and then it goes to the, the, you know, 20 or 30 developers. And then six months later, out comes the thing after a bunch of rounds of UAT QA. Uh Like the world is going to be, completely flipped upside down i'm gonna have some yep. 23 year old who's really motivated and interested in and knows the space and she's gonna build something in our sandbox and she's gonna say hey jeff i think this is cool what do you think and i'm gonna be like hey this is really cool why don't we build this and then she's gonna hand it to technology and obviously this work that has to be done and you got instantiated et cetera. Et cetera. but the point is like that 6 months is going to be cut down massively i mean people are saying 30 40 50% it's going to be more than that yeah. in terms of time
2: to market so i think it's really exciting yeah i think there's a. I you know it, i've told this story too many times but i'll tell it again um the, in 1970 if you worked on a computer you were in the computer department and you were probably a female interestingly enough um and and now if you operate a, and you, it's because you operated a computer, you're in the computer department. Now, what is the computer department? Everyone's in the computer department, or no one is. However you want to look at it, we all just operate the computer. And I think we're at that pivotal moment where the development department will no longer exist. We're all, to your point, we'll all be developers to some degree or another. Yes, specialization will still exist. There'll still be people who want to build their own gaming computers or, you know, Th- there will be a, a small subset of of computer specialists, but generally, will
0: all be developers. The developer department will be laughable, just like the computer department is today. Yeah, we were we were just having this conversation with Kathy Pearl, right? Um, about yeah. how design and development are are starting to kind of overlap, because in, in the scenario you you described, Jeff, if someone is playing around with ideas in, in your sandbox, the prototype they show you is. Is already part of the development process. Like the the yeah. building is happening right. along with the design, which is which is totally yeah, it's new. A craft. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And and by the way, it's so iterative. I mean, you think
0: Yeah. The, the oh classic is that Hallelujah. the business doesn't that know that what one. they
1: want and the technologist doesn't know what they need. And there's this, there's this chasm that exists between these two processes. And the ability to sort of kill that chasm and them, they come in and they say, Hey Jeff, what about this? I'm like, I'm literally prompt engineering with my yeah. team at their desk.
2: Like yeah, crazy. It's uh, yeah. It's awesome though. How fun is that? Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my God. Um, I mean, I was, I I've been in this job, I'll be eight years in March, and I've been the chief analytics guy forever. Right. I've been doing this like, even before that I was doing analytics and I got to be honest, it kind of got a little, it got a little stale
2: uh-huh. and then
1: all of a sudden like, wow, like look at, look at what happened. And then, you know, there's, there's so many problems i mean our our problem is one of how you know where do you focus the time and attention because every, you know we have hundreds of ideas that people come to us with and we say great ideas and they're all great question uh-huh. is which, you know, how do you do them how do you do them in a structured way um
0: and in, in a way that's you know appropriate for the legal compliance you know framework that we live in so it sounds like that's taken hold within your organization it's something we we write about in our book that if if you can kind of introduce this internally and show people how it works and get them involved, then it kind of catches fire in that way, where where people I are mean, it excited is, about it's it. Really, yeah, yeah, it I is. But
1: like everybody, when we do hackathons, we just did one. Like everybody wanted to be in the hack. And we're gonna do more hackathon. I mean, now that you've got the the GPTs concept, right? We're gonna. I write another thing end of the weekend, right? I read an email to my team every week. I've been doing it since COVID. I took all those, loaded them up, and I built a bot that says "Ask Jeff anything." Fifteen minutes, right? Like, think about all the things. Like, everyone's focused about jobs and this and that. The other thing, like, this is going to create markets, new markets, new products, new new way of thinking. And it's and and really, you know, my job isn't even to be the the orchestra. Like, right? I'm just trying to, you know, it's like the the king of you know. Spain that just launches the boats, right? We we'll make so, sure they're <laughs> good boats and they're well funded, and then and people, particularly because you don't need to have a PhD in in statistical analysis to be really good at this. My best, my best people are under twenty five and they have liberal arts degrees.
2: Yeah, and they're just creative thinkers. I was thinking about that use case. Um, so we loaded the book into an L N and this was a while ago. Like, of course we did, right? <laughs> Um, and I, 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 it, 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 just like you said, you put it in front of people and you say, ask it questions, but they kind of stare at you. Well, I don't know what to ask it. I don't know what it knows. Right. It's an interesting concept. And so what we did is we just took it a step further and we, we had it generate social posts, essentially just posts from the book on a daily basis, um, using, uh, just a technique to make sure that it doesn't cover the same pages over and over again, and so it was just it's just going through the book, um, boiling down the ideas and just popping it in there. So people weren't going to the system when they had a question; they were going to the system just like social media to just browse what the system thought might be interesting that day. And so, imagine you took all your emails and then just you know, had it in the morning or once a week or whatever schedule you'd want, just create an interesting post and people don't have to think about what to ask. It's, 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 we call them conversation starters, but, but like, wow, what a, what a great world we live (laughs) in.
1: (laughs) Well, the only, the only thing I would say, and you know, the, the, the thing that Again, we're not going to fail because of the context window not being big enough, or mm-hmm. your ability to access these models, or your ability to load up your information. We're going to fail for two reasons. One is most organizations do not have well curated content. Yes, and you know part of the reason this stuff hallucinates is because you know good luck trying to figure yeah, out garbage in, garbage out,
2: hundred yeah. um,
1: percent. So that's and by the way, that is a hard problem to solve.
2: Like, I, I, I don't think people appreciate how difficult that problem I, is. I, I could, we could talk about this all day. I, I bring up two points that I think a lot of people misunderstand. First of all, the two success stories in search are Google and Wikipedia. Um, I, most people don't know how much money is spent to get a Wikipedia page up and how much curation happens to make sure that those pages are searchable. There is a lot of money. I think on average, it's like 350 to $500 just to get somebody to write a Wikipedia page for you and to get it approved. Um, and then you look at every webpage has keywords and and has experts on search that are boiling this stuff down to make it searchable. Now let's look at a document repository. Nobody took a second to think about how to make it searchable. Nobody took a, Nobody spent a dime on searchability if if the internet was filled with documents that nobody cared about search on and didn't spend a dime on it would it would be useless right now it's the it's not the search engine that's that's made google so or wikipedia so successful wikipedia it's the volunteers that curate it before it goes up and with google it's it's the fact that so many experts out there make this stuff searchable so in order to even match what's out there which we're trying to better what's out there most organizations want to do better than what Google can do they've got to go through every document and spend what $300 making it searchable i well, you I, know, I just think they they missed that yeah to, by the way and that everyone's
1: like someone's asking me i was at a conference the other day and like well my my company doesn't have well curated content what should i do i'm like Good luck. I mean, there's Get no good it. answer there. <laughs> Get on, I mean, the thing the thing though that I would say is um, you know, just to give you some reference. So five years ago I in- I inherited the internal content repository. And the feedback internally, we do, you know, we do surveys all the time. What do they like? What are they not? Technology, right? And you know, one of the lowest performing platforms was our internet site.
2: Mm. And
1: it had broken links and it had stuff that was outdated. And guess what? Because it wasn't mad at, you know, you leave, you let anyone anywhere upload a document for any purpose with no controls on place like that. That's a challenge. And I'm not saying that's what it was like, but, you know, it wasn't as curated as it is today. And today we live in a world in which every single idea gets submitted, every single piece of content, it goes through a set of criteria and we actually grade the submitter on the quality of their, of their, um, pieces of content and if they go below a certain level they get they get remediation or they even get removed from the system it's it's the and wikipedia that, model yeah. yeah and
2: that's our that's our success our success is not the large language models
1: it's the content
2: yeah the curation i do think there's huge opportunity to do curation i've done some some tests at like just taking a document and saying hey create either write this as a wikipedia page or or create google keywords on this document and I think that's that's actually produced some pretty interesting results as a as a shortcut. It's still garbage in, garbage out, but it, if if you're really looking for a shortcut, it is it is better than just dumping all the text in well, there. Well, what you can do on top of that,
1: though, and we're already starting to do this, um, is you apply like there are standards and they are written standard. Right. So the prompt is, please apply the fault. You know. The these standards to a document. You know, we have we have criteria in terms of how long the synopsis should be. We make sure there are rules around metadata and tagging, and you know a whole bunch of things. And then you just essentially apply those things, and you say, "Hey, did it go well? Did it not go well?" And that actually that's one other point I want to make. It's quality data. It's it's the technical expertise. But the other is that you cannot successfully train this stuff without human in the loop. I mean, when we did we Absolutely. launched this platform. 20,000 pieces of people. I mean, like when I say twenty thousand, wow. I mean twenty thousand. Because the truth is when you flip this on top of your existing model, particularly on something as, as specific as like a financial services or healthcare, right? It it you're introducing both internal language and industry language and concepts that GPT four doesn't know. Yeah. So you have to spend a lot of it took nine months. To train this thing to it got to the point where we are very
2: confident in the level of accuracies that we're getting. It's worth it. It's worth it, but it is hard. I, I also think the other thing people overlook is that um, knowledge is not static, and so, like we implemented a TTL on knowledge, you know, a time to live, to, so that every so often, depending on the knowledge and the domain, it would resurface it to people to say, is this still relevant? Because you get it all cleaned up and then time erodes it, right? It's, it's, it's a clock of, of information degrading unless you have you know, s- some processes in place to make sure it, that that knowledge is... Otherwise, you, you can only put in static knowledge, right? It's knowledge that will remain true for long periods of time. Well, welcome to financial services, right? Like the, <laughs> the, the idea that was good yesterday. But I mean, there's, there's two
1: points to that. One, we do the exact same thing. So you can have stuff that literally has a day life cycle. You actually put in the document the life, you know, the, the duration. Yeah, TTL. Uh, yeah, Goes a day to a year, right? And then the other thing that's important is that, and this is where the large language models we actually spend a lot of time on is in how do you how do you understand when a a uh, a document that was published two days ago is more important than a document that was? And the answer is it depends. Yes. Right. If you want the most recent rating of a company you want the you want the one from yesterday yeah. right but if you want to know the 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 broader implications of supply chain as it reflects to a large tech company that may be that may be um more relevant for something from 3 or 4 months ago right and creating prompt to help the system understand that took us some time to figure out how
0: yeah. to
2: do and that's that's the art it's the art is not the totally and and also who who gets to decide that knowledge um because you know all of a sudden the sales department is is making the rules for the german department um or or you know or the finance department it, like you two documents who gets to de- even if even if the sales department's more recent document you don't want it like they shouldn't be able to submit knowledge, to your point, it has to be curated because, because you could even bury in a document information, you could call it a sales document and then put, you know, procurement or or finance information in it. And if, if you don't have those guardrails up to ensure that that search is not going to look at, you know, the sales domain, you could end up surfacing information that the wrong person. So it's like, who owns it? who owns the ability to create the knowledge as truth who owns truth on the knowledge and then and on the other side who who gets to see it who on the other side is allowed that information um, not all information is consumable by everyone
1: yeah i mean we have a whole we have a whole infrastructure around this uh both in terms of the assignment of roles and responsibilities um it's also worth mentioning we have a golden set of questions, several hundred, that we've been using forever, right? So you're always able to regression test those new, and it's all automated, right? Um, okay. Where you're able to make sure, because here's the challenge you have, is sometimes you fix something,
0: right? Yes. And you actually you create break. a
1: problem to yep. something else. Um, so you have to be really careful. I also have, you know, we get all the feedback. Every day, if someone doesn't like the answer, they give us a thumbs down. And my There's team, 100% me. of those items, they go chase after. And by the way, sometimes, more often than not, it's not a technical issue. It's Just no one wrote about that topic. Right. Just it doesn't exist. So we got to go back to the author and say, "Hey, people are asking about this." And then finally, I got a, I got a whole team. All they do is they try to break it. Like they will go to content and try to figure out, and they know enough to try to trick it, right? To try to ask it in ways that it's going to give you bad answers. So I think you need all you kind of like three things to um, to sort of make um, to make it
0: effective. Well, this must be a, yeah. a really exciting partnership for OpenAI too, because as powerful as the GPT models are, and as exciting as the things they can do are, like they become a lot more viable to business once they can be reliable and yeah. knowledgeable. And so, to to have a moment where they get to partner with someone that it sounds like you have a really well curated content set that maybe you were you were working on that, perhaps just to improve things internally for your own uh, team, but it had this added benefit yeah. of, of once it met an LLM, was, was it sort of like a, a match, like a nice match there?
1: I, I agree. And I I think there's two reasons they like us. One is I think they did want to work with a with a highly regulated company because if you can work with us, you can kind of work with anybody. And then the second point um, is, you know, we brought in, we don't have expertise in it. Be clear, but we do we do know the financial services industry, and we do know data and content. And you know, the 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 dirty secret that no one talks about it. We didn't even know we needed it when we right. built. It. Right, we didn't even know. Like no one told us. And like, oh yeah, you probably need a vector database. You'll need mm-hmm. for everything, but for for highly curated, high accuracy stuff, you need a vector database. And in all candor, we kind of co-developed that together. You know, we brought some of our intellectual property, and they brought some of theirs, and we we did that in a way that I don't think anyone's ever ever done it.
0: Um,
1: yeah. You know, another example is where you know the the holy grail on this is a world in which you have us, you have this layer of artificial intelligence, and you've got the world, you've got every API that you connect to, every piece of content, every distribution channel, and you want to be able to wire that person into that infrastructure so that he or she can do anything, right? And then you bring that stuff together and that advisor is able to manipulate, derive, reason as appropriate. And, you know, part of the thing that we're very focused with OpenAI is how do you build out that API? Because, you know, they can do two or three, but they can't do 300. Right. So that's an interesting
2: technical challenge. and And that's kind of where we are in the conversations with them now. Yeah. It sounds like, um, I mean, I, I interpret this as, you know, if you're, if you're not going to do it right, don't do it. Um, but you really ought to do it right. And when people say, take this stuff seriously, I think a lot of people out there, a lot of companies can't imagine what that looks like. Like you're defining it right now, probably for a lot of them will listen and, oh, that's what taking it seriously. That's like a whole (laughs) nother level. Um, I thought I was just going to hire seven 25 year olds um, and do a hackathon and, you know, and hire, you know, some consultancy and, and you know, for 300 K and I'll have, you know, I'll, I'll have my, my sort of POC on this. I'll check the box. Um, but you guys, I mean, what you're doing is, I don't know. I am in my opinion, of course, is biased, but it's the right way. You know, it's, it's the, the successful way.
1: Well, because the, the, the you know, if, if you just want to write poems and generate email, like, fine, right? You know, that that that's fine. But if you want to build a world in which, you know, I mean, we have 300 applications that are available to our financial advisor. I would argue some of them, you know, have not fully experienced. So in a world in which you may not know the name or risk system, why can't you just say, hey, Josh, Josh, Rob, you know, they're on the phone. I want to rerun their portfolios to consider, you know, X, Y, and Z. Now, clear, let me be clear. We're not doing this yet. But conceptually, why why do you have to go to a mega menu, hover on something, click on something, have the application come up? You know, I know you guys are UX, but imagine a world where there's it's almost UX list, right? In which the experience is
2: all just manipulated 100%. into one thing. Yes. Yeah. Navigation is dead. Personal UIs will all be replaced. Um. I was going to ask you that question. How long till those applications do you think are mostly replaced by conversational AI? How many years for you guys? I, I, I think it's. I mean, I,
1: I think it's going to take a lot of time because, not to get too geeky here, but y- you, when you create. A world in which you are now offering up a bunch of applications and systems. You essentially are going to have large language models on top of large language models. So the first question is, I've asked the question: Which of these applications do I need to go to, right?
2: Uh-huh. And
1: you know, putting us out on the technical challenges. that once you know that it's the right application, then you have to wire it up so it gets it retrieves the right information and you you're able to do the function call. And, you know just just doing you know hundred thousand documents took us nine months. Now you're talking about wiring it up to every system. Now I, I don't know if that's five years or three years or 20 years. I, I don't know, but I, I what I'm confident of is that that is where this is going. Yeah and the call and 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 the ability to do it with non-technical people, right Being able to sort of experiment with these things first, is I think the difference. Because for me to make a bet in the old world, I'd have to spend a lot of money. And I'd say, we're going to spend X dollars and we're going to do this. Now I don't have to make those bets. I can have people play around and come back to me and say, this is the thing that's easier than this thing. We
2: should go here versus there. Yeah, yeah I, I guess the yeah the more people you can recruit it uh, within the company to participate in this, the faster it will go. So the, the more centralized it is, the slower, the more... The more you federated, this becomes faster it goes, and and that goes to your vendors too, right? Like all those three hundred systems, they can also come to the table, right? They can they can meet you. That you know they'll build their own conversational agents that you'll interact with with your agent, um, and that can help it move faster as well. That's right. That's right. Which raises the you know the question. A lot of people,
1: you know, there are there are providers in the space, and the problem is, it's the, the, they're all they all do like. One percent of the problem, right? So do you uh-huh. do, do you do you buy a hundred things? Right. Then, so then are you now going to a hundred apps that do large language models on top of the apps? Um, I think that's really hard. But the truth is, most firms don't have the wherewithal. I mean, Morgan Stanley is a, a large organization. You know, we have a good tech budget. You know, we're able to craft this in a way that I think is is really instructive. But I I I think if you're a you know, small organization you know they'll, they'll maybe copilot at microsoft or microsoft or something else but it's not going to be
2: the complete wrapper that you yeah. know it, it you know controls everything at the firm yeah one of the things that OpenAI has shown is something we we've, we've been doing for a while which is this concept of agents um and these this is a, I, I think is really interesting when you consider it on more of a fractal basis you know not not overfitting, like not an agent that looks at a thousand options, but breaking that down into tiny agents that each look at like seven, you know, three to seven options and, and doing like a narrowing agent by agent to go like, okay, you know, what is the task? There are five to seven, you know, options. The LLM is going to operate much better than a thousand options. Um, and, and seeing that, you know, if, these solutions that you guys use create agents, you know, and um, and you're allowed and you're able to sequence them from your side. It starts to go much, much, much quicker. Um, it. I I think I agree with you though. When you see it working, it's and it's clear that it's inevitable. This is how we want to interact with machines, and the one thing I do notice. And I would love to hear your opinion on this is the one thing that's in our way, uh, or one of the things that are in our way is that the software I'm familiar with is the easiest, the, even if the the new system is simple to use, it's not as simple as the software I know. And, and so I find that most people love conversational AI for the software they don't know and for the software they do know. They're a lot more skeptical because because they've already invested in learning in it. it and so it is cognitively, uh, for them, uh, an easier jump to say, I'm just going to do it the way I always do it. I, I
1: don't think know what you see with adoption. I think but. that's true. I mean, you know, we still, the, the, the biggest challenge with our conversational system is if you type in Google or IRA, it says, what are you talking about? I don't. Like that's how we live for, for 20 years, right? You would just mm-hmm. type in George Clooney. Now you have that's to say, it. you would say, I need to close a Roth IRA for a deceased relationship in the state of California. What are the procedures for me to do that? People like, I know that sounds very simple, right? But that's not how people, and people are like, well, why can't I just type in Google? And I'm like, well, you could. And it's gonna, it's gonna come back and say, what do you want to know about Google? It's like, well, I want the research report because that's what I used to get. And I'm like, well, you need to tell it what you. Do. Yeah. And again, it's a very different um, paradigm. And some people get that very quickly. What's interesting is, is that we've actually done a study of who where we're seeing increasing usage. And we looked at the prompts that the users were providing. Mm-hmm. And it's a hundred percent correlated to the quality of the prompt so the people that figured out how to get the most out of this thing through detailed prompts are the ones that are now using it more frequently and i think the truth is this is just going to take a little bit of time but i actually don't think that it's not going to happen i think it will happen it's just a matter of
0: you know educating and and culture yeah you mentioned how important uh retraining leadership is in especially in getting started i would say uh was there, you know, we've talked a lot about this podcast about how maybe to get like the top decision makers to kind of take that longer view. Um, you mentioned that your boss is kind of all in on this. Uh, what, what was that like? Um, is, is that the a matter of just like being there in open AI's facility and like seeing the stuff in action or, because I think there's, um, you know, there's, there's the short-term ROI that's sort of easy to point to, but then... The, the actual process of building things out in a meaningful way is much more fraught and takes a lot more time and kind of a different sort of investment. Is there is there a, any insight you can provide into like how that maybe how that light bulb went off? Um, for your so I, I think it's
1: I, I don't think it's one thing. I think it's a, it's several things. So first of all, I, you know, we I mean I know the history of Morgan Stanley, but back in um, in two thousand nine, we bought Smith Barney, and at the time, we did the largest integration of in the world in financial services. And as a result of that, we spent a lot of time with senior leadership, um, educating them on all of the or issues and challenges of integration, right? Which are technical, which are data related. So I think that number one, oh, and then by the way, we buddy trade, right? And so, and then- so you have a culture that I think is very nuanced about the issues and challenges that organizations face with technology. Uh, two, when we ripped the band off with the Morgan, Sidley, Smith, Barney version, system is we literally moved into the most modern set of technologies available to us at the time. And again, this is 2009, but yeah, some of that stuff had been around for 20, 25 years, right? And then I think thirdly, we, you know, in 2018, I mentioned that we launched the first recommendation engine or insights engine um, for financial services and that has over 95% adoption, right? Every these like these an email, right? Because why? Who doesn't want a system that's curating all the ideas for you? And by the way, will generate the email from you to the client with with customized data about their portfolio or whatever. And that's going to essentially learn based on what you and the and the client do. Like who doesn't want that helper, right? So I think that there were we had some wind behind our backs in terms of being able to actually be successful, and and you know, I don't want to I don't want to speak on behalf of my boss, um, but I think I think conceptually he he sees he's a smart guy and he sees what's going on and he knows that the the world of advice and financial services is it's just it's going to be different. Now I don't believe it's going to eliminate. The advisor from the equation in any manner, shape, or form. But I think if you're an advisor that's not leveraging these tools, um, you're going to you're going to struggle, right? So I think he saw that, and I think he wants to be in front. And you know, thankfully, we're at Morgan Stanley, which is a great organization that has a lot of expertise. And I think put all that together, you know, here we
2: are. Um, You said something earlier that I that I think is deserves circling back to, which is i'm looking at it through your boss's perspective here um and and there's two questions i have one a thousand point solutions coming at you with all of them saying it's an easy button right oh this is easy making promises they're full of shit right bottom line a thousand vendors that are full of shit um convincing you that there's an easy button for doing what you guys have done and and then a bunch of execs that want to believe in the easy button um, but then which one of these thousand easy buttons do you press and then the second thing is which is very related to that is the idea of um, you know business making this decision on point solutions versus it and how does that need to change in terms of how we choose software and where does it fit versus business in trying to make this decision. Like if business decides, do they end up with a bunch of point solutions because because they're not looking systemically? Like you guys have done this systemically. And there's a great book on this, by the way, in a podcast we did earlier on point solution change versus systemic change. And that this whole idea that we're gonna have a bunch of point solutions that have bolt-on AI is just a passing trend. And that those companies will get a boost for a second but systemic change, which is what you're working on, is really what's going to take over. Um, but, but how do you cut through this bullshit of all of these easy button vendors? Do something systemic, and and who needs to drive it—business or IT or?
1: Yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> you know, I, I, first of all, I think as painful as our annual budget. Planning processes—it's critical. So, I'll give you an example. What we did this year, we um, we took it from two levels. We we asked the question: You ha- you're asking new business lines, and everyone's got their own budget, right? And they want to build stuff. I said, and we asked them, could any of these tools be enabled uh, through the use of generative AI, and if so, so that was one question. And then we asked the question from the outside, and said hey, we know a lot about wealth management. Where could we do things that we're never doing, that we're not doing today, that we could do radically different? Because most people don't ask for the, they ask for incremental change, they don't ask. So we went through that exercise and we've identified whole portfolio. Um, There were some areas where people, some groups asked for the same thing, like literally the same thing seven times. And and in those cases, we're going to build them in a centralized way, but then essentially democratize them out. And there were some areas that people can effectively run on their own. And I think one of the things that we're thinking about for next year is how does my team support? You know, the, we're actually how to support the big project. How do we support the little project? How do we make sure that all of the legal compliance and risk issues are buttoned up? How do we make sure that we're not um, we're not duplicating anything? And it really that's that's really where I see my job. My job is more about coordination and making sure we've got the right people in the right discussions, um, and then letting those things move forward. You know, in a controlled, monitored way, in which everything we do is transparent.
2: How much do you pay attention to those point solutions? Like, how much do you take time to look at them, or how much do do we
1: do? You know, this is my this is my great challenge, right? Because you know, do I buy or do I build, and um, you know, I don't know the answer yet. We have yet to we have yet to bring anything in house. I suspect we will. Um, but then you get into the problem of integration, right? You know, it's not, you know, someone's gonna come along with an LLM that does X. But then I'm like, well, I want it to fit into my taxonomy and my structure, and I want it to I want it to be a seamless experience so that is it easier for me to just build it in my own infrastructure? Uh-huh. which by the way in many cases it is because again it's not hard to build a lot of this stuff right. or is someone really built the best acts that I need to integrate To date we have not bought acts I suspect in the end we probably will and then we've got an integration problem hands
2: got it and how about it. versus business how does that how do you guys how do they work together on this I, I honestly like I
1: I you know I think first of all I'm not even sure where the lines are it, I mean, if you talk to my technology partner, um, you know he is in my face all the time, asking me why we're not doing something the way we should be doing it, and I'm asking him about how we're going to scale the pipes, right? I think yeah. you know, in order, everything I've ever done that's worked out well um, was because I had a good technology partner who really spent the time for me to understand the business challenges. And when I'm spending the time, I understand the technology challenges, and we're we're finding that right that that fish frontier in the curve where we're building stuff that impacts the business, but done in the most efficient way possible. The mistake is, you know, I always say, to people don't give me what I want, right? Give me what I need, and you can save enormous amounts of dollars if you are clever and engaged. So you know everything we do, I do in partnership with my tech team. Um, they are part of every conversation, and sometimes. In a world in which you can do lots of cool things, you know, maybe the fifth thing on my list is really hard and complex from a technology perspective. I'm just gonna go to six because I got plenty of opportunities, and it's not like I, that's the one thing I got to
2: solve. Sounds like I um, mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but um, fundamentally, one of the fundamental building blocks here is that business and IT have a trusting, great relationship, and if if there's a land grab scenario there or a, a, a trust issue, or a confidence issue. It's going to be really challenging to pull off what you guys have pulled I off. Mean,
1: I mean, listen. I'm I'm certainly not smarter than most people, but I I have been for here for over ten years. And you know, the head of UX, she's a she's a great partner of mine. The head of technology is a great partner. I mean, you, and listen, by the way, we we don't always agree, right? I'm a not a lot right. suggesting no, no, that no. we're all like it's like big kumbaya. I want to.
0: But you're communicating no, but, but like, around a no, shared but they, vision. But the
1: thing is, you know, like I, I remember my old boss used to say, "Don't, don't, don't be right, do right." And you know, my, mm-hmm. nobody cares whether it was my idea or their idea. And the truth is, it's all our idea. And again, I hate to go back to the original point, but what this technology only allows more of that, mm-hmm. right? It, 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 it's going to unleash more collaboration, more iteration which is only going to result in better outcomes. We'll stop.
0: Yeah, and it seems like the, the barriers between departments not only need to dissolve in order for some of this work to, to come to life, but also it, this work has the benefit of bringing departments closer together in a sense because you, you do have this shared vision for a future of your company with technology that requires everyone's input and contributions in a way.
1: Well, we're all going to be prompt engineers too.
0: Like <laughs>
1: even the most senior people, of the organization are going to be prompt engineers. So yeah. if you're doing prompt engineering on a system, are you a technologist or are you a business person? I don't know.
2: And I don't really care. Do you guys have, or on or or do you have on your radar, this, uh, a concept of having a team that's just an enablement team? In other words, going around the org. Almost on a roadshow basis, going to each department and trying to help help them ideate and educate on how this technology could use, be used and leveraged. Yeah, I mean that's that's that is my team. I mean, my team is part evangelist,
1: part coach, um, part arbiter and part partner technologies. And, you know, right now it's more my team, my team building, right? And and prompt engineering and if, if you know if we talk in two years, my team will be doing two
2: percent of the work, right? And that the, I, the,
1: you know the, the better we are, 100%. is the more distributed it is.
2: The less they need me, the better. It's like the programmers become consultants and enablers versus the doers, um, because the the programming is a skill. Whether you're coding or not, programming and, and logical thinking and understanding systems, and to be able to leverage that across your org better by them not being the doers, and it's fun. I think they'll enjoy That's it. It's so much
1: fun. My, my team, I mean, I, I I would, honestly, you should have them on the call, on the presentation. I mean, they they are, every day, I, and I'm not just saying this with hyperbole, I am so amazed by the stuff my team does. They come, they say, hey, Jeff, like, hey, Jack, come over and look at this, and I'm like, what? You just did that? Something. And um, I don't know, like, when I, was, when I was 23, my job was not so great. <laughs> right. I sat doing pivot tables, right? Probably yes. for eight hours a day and didn't understand. You know, the 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 pyramid is being inverted, right? Being a senior guy with thirty years experience and deep technical expertise, yeah, I mean it matters, don't get me wrong, but being twenty three, being articulate, a great problem solver that can collaborate with other people, like give me a hundred of them and the impact
2: is unbelievable yeah i saw a study once that showed that the perfect combination is people over like i think it was like 50 or 48 and people under 25 <laughs> that that as a team because because i think a lot of people I, at least for me thought you know when you're in your 30s or 40s you're at the peak and those are the best performers but this study showed that actually no um you're too busy with kids in life and being tired and that it's the this combination of of wisdom and naivete and energy that create these like amazing outcomes so well that's the thing whatever I, that's I, worth
1: yeah i think it's, it's de- i think there's some i'm mean, not not to denigrate all my matter, but um who actually are, are quite quite capable and, and effective but you know i the, the the naivete like i look i have two boys 16 and 18 years old like they do not think of technology as something else it is just part of mm. them it is it's like it's like you don't think of your left arm as something it is just part of you and they right they'll, they just like you don't even explain to them how to do something and they just figure it out and that's um that's pretty good
2: yeah yeah well this has been awesome i we went yeah. We went all over the place. I, I think this was a great, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, Hope you All right. Well,
1: you guys, if you're ever in New York, look me up. I will buy you cocktails and we will talk about the future of technology anytime you are. Let's do it. That sounds awesome. Awesome. Guys, it was great meeting you. I really great. enjoyed it.
0: Hey, thanks again for tuning in to Invisible Machines. Don't forget to follow Invisible Machines wherever you get your podcasts so that you can hear new episodes as soon as they drop. You can also watch this podcast on the Invisible Machines YouTube channel. Thank you so much to everyone who listens to this podcast and especially to those of you who leave comments because we've received a lot of really useful commentary that has helped us shape this podcast as we move forward with it. Thank you as always to our producers, Elias Parker, Kate Timchenko, and our video editor Michael Litvinov for making this podcast look and sound wonderful. We look forward to catching up with you again next week, right here on Invisible Machines.